0: This is E-Pulse with your hosts, Sarah Maderis and Julia Magaña. Social media: wonderful and terrifying. Welcome back to E-Pulse. We're going to talk about social media's role in
1: medicine. Right. And we've been wanting to talk about this for a while. The last time was with Dr. Megan Ranny, and that was in our episode, With Great Power Comes Great Responsibility, in April of 2019. But this is such an evolving topic, and
0: so much has changed. I totally agree, and I would argue things continue to evolve. So, okay, we are recording this, what, today is September 8, 2023. So this is our best take on social media at this moment in time. But, hey, guys, it may change by the time this is even published.
1: Yeah. And so to get into this, we've invited Lauren Sudkamp. Now, I know Lauren back from when she was the social media director at UC Davis Health, but she is now the vice president at a digital health
0: public affairs agency. Welcome, Lauren.
2: Thanks, guys. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, this is exciting because Lauren was here at the inception of EM Pulse, and now here she is as our expert on this podcast, so it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She helped us so
0: much along the way, too, so thank you for all of that, Lauren. I know. What a full-circle moment. So exciting. Okay, Lauren, we need to start off by defining social media for this conversation. I know there's lots of definitions, but what are we talking about when we say social media today?
2: So I think when we talk about social media today, we're really talking about platforms that allow you to be interactive with other people. And so it's kind of where you see those two-way conversations happening. Um you think about your traditional like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever it's called today. Today, <laughs> on September 8th, it's called X, formerly known as Twitter. It could be something completely different tomorrow, but today you'll hear me probably go back and forth between calling it X and Twitter, old habits die hard. We also think about it in terms of TikTok. Can't have a conversation about social media without TikTok. And I'd also say that there's some others that have really emerged as kind of contenders, quote unquote, that we may not have traditionally thought of as contenders. So YouTube is one, especially with the release of YouTube Shorts. And then the other place that you're kind of seeing this like intersection of is it social media or is it the internet is Reddit.
1: Okay, so let's talk about some of those platforms. What are the top platforms that healthcare providers use?
2: Yeah, so I think there's kind of two categories that that would fall in. I think one is the category of a healthcare provider who's looking to maybe build their business, quote unquote. And if they're doing that, they're probably looking more on a platform like Facebook, where you can create like a page about their organization or, you know, even Which might be like taboo, but their own profile of like where they work and to get reviews and all that jazz. I think the other bucket here is the physician who wants to promote themselves, either as like a thought leader or an educator or someone with something to say on a topic, on multiple topics. And so when we look at that second category, I think the big places that you see people, at least today, are on Instagram and on TikTok. Now, you might see them other places, but if they're showing up other places, I think about like Reddit doing an AMA, they're likely either promoted by the institution that they're working for, or they're tied to some organization that's part of like a bigger push for a topic. Um, But in terms of them being an individual, I'd say it's really Instagram and TikTok, which is a huge change from even like a year ago when it would have been X slash Twitter.
0: Why do you think those particular platforms are so popular?
2: I think they're so popular because they're so engaging. And I think for a lot of people, and at least the physicians that I know, I have a really good friend who is... um, A physician in Wisconsin watched her like go through residency and was along for the whole journey. And knowing you two as well, I think a lot of physicians go into medicine and they go through such strict schooling and their life is about becoming a doctor and whatever that looks like for them. And along the way, a lot of them might lose that kind of creative outlet because they don't have time. Your life is about saving people and that's like the most important. And then when you get on the other end of that, they're suddenly like, oh, I'm really passionate about this thing. Or I really want to show people how to do this. Or I have something to say about this topic. We saw a lot of that with COVID and vaccines. And so I think that people like Instagram and TikTok because they're quick, they're easy, especially I'm going to be really like general here. But if you're like under 30, it's really easy to go on and like <laughs> edit videos. You've grown up doing it. Um, and so those platforms are just so accessible to be what I like to call quick and dirty and get out there. And so you can get on, it's, it takes nothing more than a phone and a point of view and boom, you're out there. And I think that it's a really great way that people have seen to kind of a release some of that creative energy and b be able to talk about something they're passionate about without feeling maybe some of the constraints that they've felt throughout like their schooling.
0: That's a really great summary. Can I ask you to kind of summarize that dumpster fire of Elon Musk and Twitter and evolution into X? For those that may not have followed it in the news, can you just kind of summarize what happened?
2: Basically, what he did is he just like dropped a bomb and destroyed a great platform. That would be my (laughs) general summary. But I would say in general, what happened is when he bought Twitter, so he basically took over the majority ownership, he kind of started to make sweeping changes. A lot of people talk about it in terms of he was trying to create it into a profitable business, because I don't think a lot of people knew that up to that point, like Twitter wasn't as profitable as some of the other places. That's not to say it was posting, you know, gigantic losses and was always on the brink of collapse, but it also wasn't the big places where you saw a lot of ad spends like on Meta or even on TikTok. And so when he bought it, I think he came in and I'm giving him way too much credit, but he came in with the idea of turning it more into a business. But along the way, he destroyed everything that made it what it was in terms of the verification processes having to buy your blue checks what is that that means that like person off the street could do it versus a big corporation the fact that you could impersonate other accounts, the whole Eli Lilly insulins issue popped up. And in those moments, it destroyed any of the brand and kind of personal safety that had existed on Twitter before that really allowed it to still be a free speech kind of platform. But you were limited in terms of some of the hate speech that was out there. And when he came in, it blew the whole thing up and it left people really vulnerable to things that they weren't vulnerable to before.
1: Tell us about the Eli Lilly insulin incident.
2: So what happened with Eli Lilly, which was really terrifying, not necessarily for physicians, but I think it's an example of the dangers that could exist on Twitter, is that when some of the verification processes were removed and some of the checks that were in place to ensure that, you know, accounts and people were who they said they were, to the best of the ability, obviously, someone created a fake Eli Lilly account Um, And if you don't know, Eli Lilly is one of the biggest producers of insulin. And they posted that insulin was now free for everybody. And it was horrific, is the best way to put it. Like, it played with Eli Lilly's stock immediately. It was a very, like, major, like, crisis there. But what I think is the most important thing, at least from the work that I do, is it pulled back the curtain that you were, like, no longer safe on Twitter, that there was always kind of this feeling, especially if you were verified, that it meant something to be verified, and it meant that it was really clear who was who, especially if you were such a public person, persona, company, whatever. And when that happened, it, I, like, shattered it. And it made it so, like, what is real? Because a bunch of news outlets picked it up because it looked real. And that, I think, just underscores kind of how if you're looking to be on social media and if you're looking to kind of start to try to be what we can call, like, a public persona, always understanding the risks that you're taking along the lines and knowing, like, what you're getting into. So if you're getting into a platform like Twitter that it's kind of the wild, wild west still. And it wasn't for a long time. And then these things happened and Elon's takeover. And again, it inherently changed the platform from what it was where I think it was originally one of the most heavily like HCP platform out there. And now it still is It's still being used by like medical conferences and a lot of kind of that in the moment conversation is happening. But even then it's not happening as much as it was.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things that I really loved about Twitter was that conversation with other physicians and especially the emergency medicine community was huge on Twitter. So it feels to me like a lot of the physician community has left Twitter. Is that true by the numbers? Do we have data that says that?
2: I haven't seen really clear numbers of data around that just because sometimes people don't identify as who they are when they jump to other platforms. But what I can say is that especially when it has come to doing things like ad targeting and putting content out there for people to see, especially around conferences where HCPs will be attending, there's been a major shift to LinkedIn. And the reason that is, is because while there are physician-specific platforms out there, like Doximity and CERMO, those are closed platforms that only physicians have access to, like outside people and companies can like place advertisements. But only physicians are part of those. LinkedIn has now become the natural place for kind of that professional, quote unquote, interactions that you saw a lot on Twitter. And so you saw a lot more kind of physicians putting themselves out there writing thought leadership. So of course, it had to now be longer than 280 characters. But from what I know, a lot of physicians have something to say about things and need more than 280 characters to really make a strong (laughs) point. And I say that in like the nicest way possible, because you have research and data and like all this backup. And I think LinkedIn has really become that place where physicians are engaging more. And it's less in the traditional sense that we think about LinkedIn for the layperson. They're not necessarily on there looking for jobs. They're on there to kind of have those professional connections with each other, with organizations and with other thought leaders in the spaces that they care about.
0: Interesting. Are there any other platforms that have shown themselves to be a meaningful competitor to X, like Threads or, you know, you mentioned Doximetry and Surmo. Is there anything else that has kind of filled that space about micro blogging and sharing and having that conversation?
2: Well, that's a great question. So I think that Doximity and Surmo to the outside person are always going to be a mystery just because unless you can talk to directly physicians who use it, it's hard to know from an outside perspective like what's going on there, what kind of conversations are happening, as it is such a closed platform. Now, when you use the word meaningful, that's not necessarily how I would describe threads at this exact moment. I think it's an attempt at a competitor, but I think... It's hard when it's tied to Instagram and it's like cross-promoting and there just isn't from what I've seen like the same level of buy-in. There was a ton of buy-in when it launched. When it launched, everybody was like, Well, look at threads, I'm gonna join. And then you saw within like the first two weeks like a massive drop-off of engaged users. And so what that means is that a bunch of people went in activated their profiles and maybe did like that first, like, hey, I'm here kind of post and then never did anything else. And there's limitations there. The big difference, at least from the last time I looked at threads, is that it was really hard to be searchable by topic. So you could use a hashtag, but like, it didn't take you anywhere, nor could you click on it. And so that's, I think, the biggest downside to threads could change again in a month that that functionality is there. And the other one that you have heard people talk about a little bit is a platform called Mastodon. Funny name, of course, but Mastodon is kind of, I like to describe it as like the IT solution to Twitter. And the reason I say that is because it's an open source social media platform, which means that people can kind of create their own areas and groups within the source code. And there are layers to accessibility to the platform so you have to apply to kind of the branch that you want to join and like once you're in you're in but then you still have to like apply to be part of other mastodon communities so i don't think it's been adopted as much and i also don't think a lot of people know about it and if you do know about it you've known about it for kind of specific reasons not necessarily because twitter disappeared or changed and like you were looking for something else. Tell me
1: a little bit more about how people are using Reddit.
2: Ooh, great question. So Reddit has been around for a long time. It's the quintessential front page of the internet, as they like to call themselves. (laughs) But people are using Reddit to have, I think, a lot of these micro-conversations. And so they're having them in subreddits, and subreddits exist amongst bigger Reddit channels. And so if you don't know how Reddit works... Reddit has pages, and in those pages, they can be broken down into smaller subreddits. So you can think about it as emergency medicine is a Reddit page. And on emergency medicine, you could then create subreddits to be like pediatrics or ultrasound or radiology or even like critical care. So like first response, that kind of thing. And so all of these kind of conversations can happen on these pages. And I think people are really using them to ask questions, to talk through situations. I've seen a lot of people go on there and be like, I had this thing happen. Like, this is what I did. What would you have done? And you see people having those conversations or you see the general person asking, like, my kid has been spiking a fever of 104 for the last three days. Like, do I go to the doctor? And it's interesting in the responses because you might see like a fellow parent who's just like, no, I gave my kid Tylenol and they were great. And then you see like an NP pop on there who's like, you should probably call the nurse advice line. Or, you know, like you see those people pop up, but they're self-identifying. And I think that's the difference with Reddit is you're about as anonymous as you can get on Reddit in terms of like your username can be whatever you want it to be. It has nothing to do with you. And even when you sign up for an account it's not like on the other platforms where you choose like your job or things like that. You don't have to have any of that. I think the basics you have to have is a username and your location. So people are self-identifying. And I think that's the interesting part.
0: I think that's the scary part to me, even more so like we talked about with the verification on Twitter that feels like even more so licensed to post false information and um, not sure who to actually rely upon there.
2: I'd say just to that point, though, real fast, that one of the things with Reddit that I think is really interesting is that there is an inherent level of trust. So when people put things out there and they ask a question, I think from what I've seen as a a user and then also from doing some research on there into certain type topics... I think there's this inherent level of like when you ask a question or bring up a topic, you know that you're going to get the spectrum of things, but you also believe that by someone taking the time to get in there and write a real comment, that they're who they say they're going to be. I like to think about engagements in tiers. And so, like a tier one engagement, in my opinion, is a like or a click to like open up the rest of something that's written that's maybe not above the like read more. A tier two is when you kind of get into the, I'm going to share this with someone. It might be a comment of like, this is great, like a small comment. But a tier three to me is when someone leaves a real comment, when they actually go in there and they say something more than a few words. And that's, I think, the tier that you see a lot more on Reddit. And that's where I think people kind of believe in the credibility. So while it still is anonymous, it's really the fact that someone's taking the time to like take more than two seconds to do an action that underscores some credibility. I mean, that's my opinion, but I think that that's, from what I've seen, held pretty true.
0: Hmm. Interesting way to think about it. What about some of the visual platforms? You mentioned um, Instagram and TikTok. What are some successful ways that healthcare workers leverage these visual platforms?
2: So I think there's a few ways. I think one is having a point of view. And your point of view can be as simple as, I'm a pediatric physician here, or I'm an emergency medicine doctor here. And I think the here part is really important. And I bring that up because with the recent hurricane that happened in Florida, there is a physician whose name is escaping me, but she has been on there on Instagram. And I think she's on TikTok too. A lot of people are now doing this thing where they're like on both platforms and reposting both content just without like the little TikTok logo. So, but anyway, she's on there. She lives in Florida. She's right in the path of the hurricane and she's already established herself as a pediatric physician. And oftentimes she comes on there and does kind of like myths and facts. So she'll do the splicing where like she's talking in front of a video of someone else sharing something and saying whether it's true or not. She does a lot of general kind of pediatric things. But when the hurricane was coming, she started showing glimpses inside her hospital. So it was, this is how we're prepping for the hurricane. This is where I'm staying. This is what my family's doing since I'm here. But I thought that was really interesting because I was like, oh, so they have this place for their their doctors. And this is how they're prepping. And it really just underscored her as a continuing authority of care. Because she's giving you that behind the scenes. She's showing you that like her family's being taken care of, but she's here to take care of people. And like, this is her commitment. And she knew as part of her commitment, like this is what she's doing. And I thought that was really interesting because I thought that was a little different than what some of her other content had been. So I share that example because I do think that's where the there is important. And I think it's especially important to show if you feel comfortable enough to share not necessarily the hospital that you work at or the clinic that you work at, but at least the state that you're in, because that might help give people some context to what you're talking about, especially in a day and age when healthcare is being decided a lot of times in politics and not in one-on-one conversations between a patient and their doctor.
1: So we've talked about a lot of these sort of success stories of how we can successfully use social media, but what are some of the concerns or pitfalls that emergency physicians should be aware of when they're utilizing these platforms professionally?
2: So the first and biggest one that I feel like is common sense, but is also not, is HIPAA. And HIPAA consists not only of you know patient and patient details and anything that's identifying factors when you're speaking, but it's also what's behind you, what's on your table, what's something that someone can zoom in. And I think that that was always the number one thing. Whenever I talk to anybody in the medical field about wanting to be on social media, it's to be very, very aware and up to date on HIPAA and to always think before you click publish. So you might think that the story that you have told about this case that you had was really interesting and such a great learnable experience. And oh my gosh, I can't wait to share it. But you accidentally mentioned that the patient had red hair and therefore they needed a higher dose of pain medicine. I know that's like a may or may not be a myth, but I'm just going with it. And <laughs> you gave, had to give them a higher dose of pain medicine in order to treat, I don't know, the dislocated shoulder that they had. Again, I'm not a medical professional. This is just where I'm going. And you're like, what was really cool about this is X, Y, Z. And you're like, I'm going to click publish because I think other people might learn need to learn about this. Well, you just identified that this person had red hair, that this was the condition that they came in on. And are you publishing it the same day that you did this treatment? Or are you publishing it like three months after? Now, There's still gray there. I'm not saying to do that, but it's like those small things I think are what people sometimes forget when they're in the moment and they're wanting to just get out what this really cool thing was. I think that that's always a big pitfall for people because I would hate to have had something happen to me and the doctor who treated me without my permission, I found on social media like I have found other doctors and suddenly I'm hearing them tell my story and they never like talk to me about it and I knew it was me. And if I know it's me, someone else might know it's me if they're close to me.
0: Yeah, that's a good principle, like making sure that the patient couldn't even identify themselves with inside of the information that you're sharing would be a good general rule. But HIPAA definitely scares me. Also, you know, misinformation on social media scares me, and I want to be as precise as I can. That's really important to me. How can I ensure that I'm not inadvertently spreading false or misleading content on social media? This
2: feels like a conversation back in late 2020 into 2021 related to COVID, which was just such a fascinating case study in misinformation for the general public, but also in terms of medicine. I think what happens with misinformation is always knowing what you're talking about in terms of where it's coming from. So identifying off the bat, is this your personal opinion or this is your educated opinion? Now, the lines could be gray there, but that's where it comes up with data and facts and being able to speak to things that are reputable. And it's okay to not always have that backup if you have an opinion on something. But if you have that opinion, you also have to know that if you're sharing something that is misinformation or... Is your own personal opinion not based in facts and studies that you lead with that? I think what happened a lot is a lot of doctors were either quoting things, and again, I'm talking about around COVID and vaccines, but they were quoting things that were coming out as it was happening, not necessarily after the long-term studies that are really effective. And I know that during that time period, we didn't have the luxury of time. And a lot of it then came down to physicians putting their own personal stance on what was happening and not realizing, to your point at the beginning, Sarah, you have power. People are looking to you as an expert. They come to you for care. And so regardless of whether they're your patient or not, your words hold weight, and so there is this responsibility, whether you like it or not, that people are going to take what you say and really consider it more highly or better than their friend or maybe even a family member or someone they trust because they trust you and they trust that you're supposed to have their best interest at hand. And so misinformation is like a poison. But what's challenging with it is so much of it is rooted in the personal. And so that's where I think it really behooves people to identify, like, this is my personal opinion based on what I've read. This is what I think and not doing a lot of generalizations, which is a lot of, I think, what we saw in that heavy time period.
0: I think another thing that really scares me on social media or um, maybe not scares me, but like stresses me out is the concept of trolls, somebody coming on and trolling what I'm saying. What is your best tip for dealing with trolls?
2: Blocking and reporting. So I'm a firm believer that social media can be both the best and the worst thing for mental health. It can be the best thing because it ties you to this wealth of information that we never had before in such a beautiful community of people across the world with diverse perspectives and thoughts and ways of life that you may never be exposed to regardless of where you live. and that. Knowledge sharing and exposure is, I think, one of the most powerful things to really underscore the fact that, like, we're all in this together and we're all one big, giant community. On the flip side of that, I think social media can also bring out the worst of what we like to call keyboard warriors. So people who sit behind their keyboard and, you know, tear people down and say things that you would literally never say to someone's face sitting across from them. And if you were, chances are that person would want nothing to do with you in the future. So I always just remind people that protecting your space and protecting your energy is the best thing you can do in those types of situations. It's the block button. It's reporting. It's limiting your comments. I've seen people do that on Instagram when they're talking about certain things because they just don't want to deal with People who are searching hashtags just to leave negativity all over the place. And so I think while that is a huge concern, there are now things in place to one, help you physically protect your energy and your space. And to two, just have a good reminder to yourself that like you're choosing to do this. And if this choice is no longer serving you to be out there, like if you feel like all you're getting is not what you want back, like take a break. Take a moment, maybe rethink like what you're saying. And that's not to say what you're doing isn't valuable or important, but maybe that's your moment to step back and think about like, is this really how I want to do this? Is there other avenues that I could take or going to a trusted like colleague or friend and being like, okay, this is all that I'm getting is seems to be these people coming at me saying this rhetoric over and over again. I think they're crazy. What do you think? Because sometimes we get in our own mind too that, like what we have to say and what we have to like share is 100% correct. And like all the right things and the way that we're delivering it is so great. And sometimes it could just be in the delivery that people are missing the point.
1: So let's shift a little bit. Let's say that I want to establish myself on social media, and I haven't done that much, or maybe I've pulled back for a while. What advice do you have for somebody to kind of get started and get themselves out there with a professional presence on social media?
2: Yeah, I love this question because I'm all about empowering people to like take the leap and, you know, be themselves. And that would be my number one piece of advice. Be yourself. People want to see people. They want to see you after a shift, before a shift. I would say in the middle of your shift, but, you know, caveats with that, as we all probably know who are listening to this, if you're in the medical field, and have a point of view. And like I kind of mentioned or alluded to earlier, your point of view can be as simple as I'm a pediatric emergency medicine physician. And what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for people to come find you and be like, okay, cool. So if I come to this person's page, I'm probably going to see them talking about caring for children, caring for children in trauma situations, having advice on things that they might be seeing coming up in the emergency room. So like, do I go to the emergency room for a fever or not? Or... When's the best time to call 911 for your kid versus like showing up and waiting? You know, they might look for topics like that. And if you're not wanting to delve into some of those types of things, they might also then be looking for you like, how do you take care of yourself outside of your shifts? What self-care and showing like, get ready with me routines is like the trend right now. And so not saying that's necessarily what I think is the best use of someone's time to do all the time, but they might see that from you if you're just identifying yourself as that. Like, what do you do to get ready for a 12-hour shift? What do you look like after a 12-hour shift? Because to me, from the doctors that I've interacted with, that is the moment that I'd rather see than the get ready with me. Because that's like the real. That's like you've just been face-to-face with humanity for 12 hours and... I think that that human aspect, from my own personal opinion, is something that I think is still an untapped field. And that's not to say it's all doom and gloom, because it's not. There's some beautiful, wonderful, miraculous things that happen. But I think that a lot of people just view it as like advice giving and not what it actually looks like to do the job. So that all circles back to my second thing about like have a point of view. So establish who you are and do your best to stay true to that as specific or as broad as you want to be.
1: And you've talked about this a little bit, but what would be your key platforms to start with?
2: What you're comfortable with is the first. So if you are like, I take photos and I'm great at photos and like, that's my jam. And I write these beautiful captions. Instagram is your best friend. If you want to dabble in video. I'd say TikTok or Instagram now both take a little bit of a learning curve and that shouldn't be a reason not to do it. Um, There's so many people now who have like thousands of followers who if you scroll back through their page, their first videos are literally like terrible transitions and weird looking text on screen. Um, You know, all that jazz. You can sometimes not hear them or the music's weird. And that's the thing. Like it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be something that you try. And so that's where I think you kind of choose which medium speaks to you and know that you can evolve just like social media has
0: evolved. And I think that takes us to the next question is for those who are already established on one or two platforms, what is your advice to them for expanding their online presence?
2: Research. Do your research what are you hashtagging? How are people finding you? Where are they finding you? Depending on your level of engagement on these platforms. And by that, I mean, like if you do any like paid promotions or I think TikTok might give a little bit better metrics than Instagram might give in that aspect. But look at who's following you. Look at where they come from. Look at what they look like and target that audience. It takes some time and care and cultivation. It's one thing when people always talk about like, oh, I went viral and that's how I got all these followers. Well, did you? Or did you go viral for like one post and when people went to your page, they saw that you had a point of view that they wanted to keep following? And that I think is huge and that's not again to say like i think back to the days when instagram first launched and like you looked at people's pages that were perfectly curated and like aesthetically pleasing like i think that matters a little more now just in terms of like wanting people to know like what you're talking about to click on a video but i think it's less about that and more about like if this is something that's popping up in their like for you page what's going to keep them on your page and then what's going to encourage them to click follow. And if you're not seeing those click-throughs to follows, start to think about why. Are there different hashtags you could be using? Are there promotions that you could do in terms of like what you talk about? I'm not saying giveaways. Don't do giveaway loops. Please, please, please. But are there things that you could promote that connect to someone else? Work with your organization. If you really have a point of view and you think you're great on camera, which you probably are if you have a following, how can you then tap into someone else who has a following as well that might be the type of people you want to follow you.
1: I like that tip. So Lauren, what do you think the future holds in terms of social media in the healthcare space?
2: Ooh, that is a big question. (laughs) On the one (laughs) hand, change. I think it's going to constantly be changing. I think with AI and I think with these things that are I think I keep saying this, but like wonderful and terrifying all at the same time. That's how I think of AI right now. Um, It's going to constantly be changing. But I think the one thing in the future that holds true to today is no matter how much things change, people want to see people. And so I think the future still is building that connection. I think you're going to see some platforms come and go. I think you're going to see platforms change. Like I don't think meta will be what it is today today a year from now, five years from now. But I think that it's not going away. And so I think the other piece of that is that for physicians, as they're moving through their career and thinking about social media and whether they want to use it or not, I think it's always going to be there. And I think that it's just going to be determining your level of comfort, your level of engagement, and your buy-in to participate and what that looks like. Because I think that there's levels of that. And I think that those are always something that's going to be there. And so you can't pretend that it doesn't exist. But the more that you can embrace it in the way that you feel the most empowered by it, the better you're going to be in the long run. All
1: right. So if there was one takeaway, one key point that you would like everybody to know here about social media, what would that be?
2: I'm going to throw it back to the original podcast that you did and reiterate the with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that that is the perfect summation of this, because as we know, people are looking to social media platforms more than they're looking to Google now. People are looking to people as experts, whether they're supported as that or not in other realms that we have traditionally thought news media, for example, like if someone's quoted in the newspaper, they've typically been viewed as an expert. I think that that has changed. And so I just think that you should know that as a physician, as that person, or as a medical professional with those extra letters at the end of your name, people look to you with a certain authority. And that is so wonderful. And I think it's so well-deserved and so well-earned. But know that your words have power and your words carry weight. And so when you opt into a more public or putting yourself out there type of persona, know that you have the power to influence. And that's huge.
1: Thank you, Lauren. This has been eye-opening. And it's so nice to talk with you again because I I miss our chats where I would learn things from you all the time. So I love doing this again. And I have now learned that I need to get on Reddit because I don't think I use that as much as
0: I should. So I'm going to get on there and start looking for some emergency medicine threads. That's an interesting takeaway. I also can't wait to see what happens next, or maybe I can. (laughs) Whatever it is, it's going to be interesting. And so, guys, this is it for social media and emergency medicine. Thanks, Lauren, for your time.
2: Of course. Thanks, guys, for having me.
0: And speaking of social media, you can find us on
1: social media at Impulse Podcast. And it helps us so much if you subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you have time, we would love it if you left us a review.
0: And thanks to the UC Davis Emergency Department for using social media to educate.
1: And thanks to Owen Productions for helping us with our own social media accounts.
0: (laughs) See y'all next time.